0: Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you are still who you say you are. That has never changed. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I thank you that we have fellowship with you because of what you did, Jesus. We have fellowship with the Father. I thank you that eternal life is to know God and the one whom he sent. Lord, I thank you for that. I pray today that this may not just be words, but may it be by your spirit. May it pierce the hearts for those whom you want to minister to, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to, if we can look at Easter a little bit different today, you know, whenever it comes to studying the resurrection, I'm just so aware of how often people have heard the message, but I always go back and say, Lord, show me again. Show me afresh. Show me anew, Because there's so much to it. There's so much to God. There's so much to Christ that you can never get tired of it. Amen? Because unless you rose again, friends, we have nothing. So we're going to get into that today, but I want to look at it in a sense, two, well, many questions, but two big questions. What happened in their day? For those who were there, for what was it like experiencing it for them? Because often we understand what it means for us, but what was it like if you were there? Now, I can never cover that in its fullness in terms of there were many supernatural occurrences that took place with the woman and with Mary and then the disciples and Christ appearing here. And so you can never cover all the supernatural experiences that took place. But if you were just there, If you weren't necessarily a disciple, if you were just in the area, in the geographical region for those three or four days, what happened? What affected everybody? So we're going to look at that briefly. And then we're going to look at, more importantly, what happened in the spirit realm. Because that was happening in the natural, but what was happening in the spirit? Amen. So what happened in the natural? Let's go to Matthew chapter 27. Go to verse 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there, When they heard that said, the man is calling for Elijah, because it was in Aramaic, and he said, Eli, Eli, they didn't understand. A lot of them weren't maybe Aramaic. I read a study, I think it was Derek Prince, who said that most people, if they have a language that speak when they're young, or when they're raised in a language and they move to a nation or they speak another language, on their deathbed, they almost always revert back to their childhood language. And Jesus was a child, he spoke Aramaic. Some of those who stood there, when they heard that, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He gave it willingly. It's actually very important, friends. He yielded up because the sacrifice was greater than the punishment. In the Old Testament, the punishment, the scapegoat, the punishment was greater than the sacrifice. The punishment killed the sacrifice. The sacrifice. In the New Testament, the sacrifice was greater, and he won, and then he yielded up his spirit. Very, very important. Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared To many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things which happened, and they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. I've just got four supernatural things that took place that affected everybody. The first one, I'm going to run through these fast, is darkness. Darkness covered the face of the earth, covered that area. Darkness came from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. So people, Western people, we read that, we think, oh, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. What's the big deal? No, it was from noon. Six hours of the day. Their day starts at six o'clock. It's From noon to 3 p.m. It was not an eclipse because they just had a Passover. The Passover was full moon. Not an eclipse. It was a supernatural occurrence in the middle of the day when the sun's at the height in the sky darkness covered the face. Just darkness. Why? I personally believe that in the book of Exodus, you see just before the Passover, the darkness covered, the darkness that can be felt you knows the story? Darkness covered the face there, covered it, said darkness could be felt, and it covered that whole area. It preceded the death of the firstborn son. It preceded, for the Hebrew people, the spotless lamb in place of the firstborn dying. Darkness was there, then that left, and then the sun died. The death of the firstborn all through Egypt, death of the spotless lamb. So fast forward, darkness for three days. This is darkness for three hours. It's a shadow, friends. It's showing what was to come. Now there's darkness for three hours. And after that, there's the death of the firstborn son and the lamb that was slain. If you were Hebrew there, you would have, if you were a Hebrew scholar, you would have started to put this together straight away. Secondly, thing that happened, As the curtain was torn, now in rabbinic literature written many thousands of years ago, the best description we can get of what the temple curtain, the veil was looking like, was 60 feet high. So this is 24 foot, this building. So 60 feet high and 30 feet wide. They say it took 300 priests to manipulate it, to move it and to clean it. It was so heavy. They said it was as thick as a man's hand. Well, if you're my dad's hand, that's like a foot. But it was as thick as a man's hand, about four inches. They said it was so strong that you could tie it to horses on either side and they couldn't pull it apart. So then it says that the curtain was torn from top to bottom. And I know we've heard this. But, friends, that's a supernatural current, higher than any man can reach and stronger than any beast can open. And it's torn from top to bottom. If you were anywhere near the temple, the sound would have been deafening. Just rip, like that. By God, from top to bottom, God to man. Signifying what? There's no human effort will help you. It is by God's grace. He does it. It was finished before you did anything. <laughs> you don't enter the most holy place. You don't enter His presence by your effort, but by His effort, from top to bottom. Imagine what that meant. Imagine how they freaked out. Just picture it. I'm always interested to find out how they reacted. Thirdly, there were earthquakes. And I say earthquakes. Three. There were actually two here, but we'll speak of three. The first one I want to mention very briefly is that there was an earthquake at the outset of the writing of the covenant of Moses, the writing of the law on Mount Sinai, Exodus 10 to 12. You can go look at it. There was an earthquake, darkness, all the same stuff, the same ingredients (laughs) as it were. And there was a covenant because of that covenant that was cut. There was an earthquake and the law was set in place. Now, thousands of years later, Jesus said, I never came to abolish the law, but to... Fulfill. And at his death, the law is fulfilled. And at his death, there's an earthquake that split the rocks and the graves popped open. I personally believe that earthquake was the Lord saying, fulfilled. The thing that started here, my justice is satisfied. It's done. It's done. Then three days later, there's another earthquake. It was actually more like 24 and a half hours. In Hebrew, it was three days. In the Hebrew understanding of days, but it was Friday to Sunday, so it was just over 30 hours. It says, after Sabbath, Matthew 28, 1, as the first day of the week began to draw, Mary Magdalene and other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, second earthquake. Number two, a lot of people know there was an earthquake, but there were actually two. There was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat in it. His countenance was like lightning. His clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men, much like John in the book of Revelation. If I saw that, I'd probably be the same. Friends, that's a second earthquake. Why? It's the cutting of a new covenant. When he was raised up, this was a new covenant. Creation itself responds to its master. Imagine you were there. Then it says, the first earthquake, the tombs opened, and people came alive. Just imagine, friends, people came alive. They walked around town. Your loved ones, they were dead. They are walking around the town. So try place yourself there for a second. The temple is torn. Darkness out of nowhere. Middle of the day, darkness. What's going on? Then an earthquake. What's going on? Then you hear, what, the temple was ripped? How is that possible? How did that happen? It takes 300 people just to move it. How did that happen? From top, what? And you're just getting over that. Then you go into town and there's Johnny at the cafe having a cappuccino. And you're like, dude, you're supposed to be dead. I'm being real. This is what it was happening. And they're like, how is that possible? They're just getting over that. They're just sitting down. What's going on? They everyone scrambling, priests, everyone trying to figure out, where is this in the writings? Definitely not Jesus. So it's definitely not the Messiah. So how does this make sense? Then another earthquake, I think some people fled, some people feared. Some Pharisees probably, I don't know, it doesn't say, I think some Pharisees were thinking, we made a mistake. Friends, stuff going on in the supernatural. If you were there, it was undeniable, couldn't get away from it. Just imagine, and I believe that the dead were raised was just a foretaste, because there's a difference between being raised from the dead and resurrection. Please, very important. Lazarus was raised from the dead. These people were raised from the dead, but they one day died again. Resurrection is you will never die again, and that's only Jesus. Only Jesus. And one day you. And that was just a foretaste. So there was a testimony of cosmos, a testimony of the Lord, testimony of creation, testimony of life itself, saying, this is the king. But more important, some people say, I wish I'd been there. Imagine it. I think the Lord's saying, I wish you would believe it in its fullness. If you would just believe it in everything that took place. Being there would have been great, but believing it sets people free forever and ever and ever. So that's what happened in the natural. What happened in the spirit? Far more important. So I'm going to ask you some questions today, rhetorical questions. Please don't shout out answers. I learned as a child in church, never shout out an answer because I'm probably wrong. That's just embarrassing. So two questions. In what manner did Jesus defeat death? In what manner did Jesus defeat death? And why was he able to defeat death? Acts 2.22 says this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man. Capital M. A man. Jesus was fully God and fully man. A man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst. Friends, which God did through him. He was a man. He operated by the Holy Spirit. I'm getting distracted with this because it's one of my favorite topics. He operated as a man. He let his divinity go. We're going to discuss why today. Which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands. (laughs) I love Peter's boldness. This is the Peter who ran away. This is the Peter who ran away. This is what happens when you get filled with the Spirit. The Peter who ran away now looks at the people he was afraid of, that were going to kill him. He says, you crucified him. You took him. It's a different Peter. He says, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. But why? Why could he not be held by it? Go to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to go through some scripture today. Isn't that so exciting? Amen. That was the right response. If there was a pass and fail, you passed. 1 Corinthians 15. Let's go to verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. In other words, if that doesn't happen, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. There's a little bit of sarcasm here with Paul. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. Whoa. Hang on a moment. If you're a scholar of scripture, if you love to read the word, you go, whoa, 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 whoa. Doesn't Romans 5 tell me that by the death of Christ, not his resurrection, by the death of Christ that I've been reconciled? Doesn't Romans 5 tell me that just by the death of Christ I've been justified? That means justified, declared righteous. Reconciled, the banishment that happened in the garden, get out, leave, leave my presence, leave my fellowship. The banishment, reconciled means banishment canceled and brought near. So if Romans 5 is saying, hold on, I've been declared righteous and I've been brought near. Declared righteous and brought near by his death. Then why is Paul saying here that we are still in our sin if he's not risen? Because Romans 5 says it's done. Why? Because the end of sin, friends, is death. We are most to be pitied, and we're going to read it in a moment. If for this life only we have forgiveness of sin, fellowship with God, Forgiveness of sin, an invitation to this intimate life, peace, overcoming circumstances, faith that overcomes the world. And then we die and are held by death forever. Makes no sense. That's why Paul says this. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then, also those who have fallen asleep. I love the temporary nature of Paul's language. They're just sleeping. That language came in the New Testament because they were so eternally focused, eternally fixed. It says, Then they have fallen asleep, in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Because, friends, today is, and tomorrow is gone. Today is like, it's fast. Life is fleeting. The Bible says today is, and then you're done. But now Christ is risen from the dead. And has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man, which man is that? For since by man came death, who's that? Adam. So I said, don't answer questions. Everyone's like, I'm not sure. <laughs> For since by man came death, Adam, by man, capital M, came the resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made. Alive. Since by man came death, by man came resurrection. Friends, think about it this way. This brings a certain revelation to our shores. Big revelation. And I'm trusting that God speaks it into your heart. Friends, there's not a battle between the Jesus and the devil. Please understand this. People say, Jesus and the devil. No, just Jesus. The opposite of the devil is not Jesus. The opposite of the devil is Michael or Gabriel. Created beings, not Christ. For in him all things consist. For by him all things were made that were made. He is the invisible God. They're not comparable. So why didn't Jesus just say, I'll just squish the devil? He could have. Honestly, friends, wouldn't have actually been difficult. You could have said, I'll just, psh, there we go, done. Why? Because by man came death. In order for the integrity of the Father, for the justice of the Father, for that to be satisfied, for that to be done, it had to be a man that paid the price. Couldn't be anyone else. It had to be a man. Friends, Jesus died as a man. Very important that he didn't just die for you. He died as you. He could have just, devil done, all right. Bible says he parted the Red Sea with the breath of his nostril. See parts. friends. it's not a big deal for him to just devil. But because of his love for you. Because if he did that, you ain't free. And because of his submission and reverence and honor for the Father's will. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. I will do this. Your integrity, your justice stays intact. And mankind goes free, so I will do it as a man. Because by man came death. Therefore, by man came resurrection what love is that that's the garden of Gethsemane going before his father saying dad is there any other way in my humanity I know what lies before me he read Isaiah chapter 52 he knew the scripture of by heart he knew that he was about to be bruised and beaten and damaged and broken to the point where people couldn't recognize that he was a man you know he read that scripture at some point growing up even as young as 12 he realized that's me they're talking about me he realized. So he goes before the father. Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way to do this? Father said, no, my son. So he said, all right. Because of my love for them and your will, we'll do it this way. That's what Philippians 2, 5 to 9 says. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. But that answers the first question. In what manner did Christ die as a man? What made him as a man, think about that, able to conquer death? He didn't do it with his divinity. You know, think about that. What made him able to do it? His sinlessness. His sinlessness. Only way Jesus was able to feed death as a man was because he was sinless. The Bible says in Romans 5, that death came through sin. When sin came into the world, death came. That's why the wages of sin is death. If you work, you work for a wage, right? When you work, you're owed a wage. When a person is born on the earth, they're born with sin inside because of the sin Adam. Death is owed to them. They are owed death. It's how it is. That's why you need Jesus. Only he can remove that. Go look at Hebrews 4. It says, we have a great high priest. He was without sin. He can sympathize with all our weakness, yet was without sin. Was tempted in every point, yet was without sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin for us that we might become righteous. That's a grand exchange. The very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In John chapter 8, he stood there and challenged the Pharisees. He said, which of you has ever seen me commit a sin? You know he said that? The wages of sin is death. And I saw this picture in my mind as I was praying through this. And again, it's allegorical, but it's just such an easy way to understand it. Imagine death as a person. Death as a person, he's Jesus. Here comes Jesus. Imagine, it's like in the assembly line. Everyone dies, they've got to face death. And if death is a person, Jesus comes down, now Jesus stands in front of death. So Jesus descends, friend. Think about this. He descends, the Bible says. Willingly gave up without sin. He goes and walks and stands in front of death. In him, there's no fear. Truth instead of lies. Love instead of fear. Light instead of dark. Power instead of cowardice. Righteousness instead of deceit. Authority instead of usurping. And he descends. And he goes and stands in front of death. Death had never seen this before. Death saw Adam, first Adam, that was made without a sinful nature, but because he sinned, even when Adam stood in front of death, I am owed to you. Now Jesus comes. Death is like, I don't know what to do. I've never seen this. There's no sin. I am not owed to you. So he can walk right up to death and say, give me the keys back. That's what he did. Give me the keys, the keys of life and death and victory and eternity and immortality. Everything that entered in the garden, Jesus walked up to him and said, give me the keys. Friends, he said it in Matthew 16. He said to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Why did he say will? Because he didn't have them yet. Because he hadn't been to the cross yet. So he said, when I get them, I will give them to you. When the devil took Christ up to the highest place in Matthew chapter 3 and 4, you go read it, friends. The devil said, if you worship me, if you worship me, I will give you all that you see. He took him and says he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. It wasn't some high mountain. It was a supernatural experience. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, for this, the kingdoms of the world, the devil speaking to Jesus, has been delivered unto me. Who gave it to him? Adam. He said, this has been delivered unto me, so I give it to whomever I want. And you remember, Jesus, why did I get kicked out of heaven? Because I wanted worship. And I didn't just want worship from other angels. I wanted worship from you. So if you will bow the knee and you worship me, I get what I want and I'll give you what you came for. There's a shortcut here. Let's make a shortcut. Friends, that's what happened in the desert. Let's make a shortcut. I'll give you what you want. You give me what I want. Jesus, shut up. Be quiet. And he went to the cross. And he appeared before death. Give me the keys. Then he went to the disciples. And he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Here's the keys. Therefore you go. For those who believe in his name, he gave the right. My dad and I were talking about this the other day. He gave the right to become children of God. You know that word right? Right is the word exousia. It means it's this authority in the Greek. For those who believe in Jesus, he gives them the authority to become children, to operate as a son of God, to operate as a daughter of God, to operate because he's given you the keys. Many keys of the kingdom. Everything that entered in the garden, destroyed, done. You will never die because of that. In fact, he even says in John chapter 8, Somewhere. He says in John chapter 8, he says, if anyone keeps my word, John chapter eight fifty one, I think it is, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. You will never have that appointment that he had because of the one he had. Never. There are some young people in our midst who are not thinking about death right now. I'm just being real. But there are some more elderly people who they think about it. You will never die. Because to be apart from the body is to be present with the Lord. (laughs) You will not face what he faced because he rose, because he's alive, because he's risen. He's given the keys back to the church. He's given the keys back to you and me to use them. He's put a gun in your hand and he said, shoot that thing, kill that thing, whatever that thing is. That addiction, that death, that sickness. And instead the church has come up with all these doctrines to make all those things okay and then they say it was God who did it. No. He put a gun in your hand. He said kill that thing. I've given you the keys. So operate. You have the right. You have authority as the children of God. Because he rose. Because if he didn't rise friends then nothing's true. Nothing's true. But He did when you allow that to form and shape your identity as a son you can only do that because he's risen you know the Bible says we'll end with this the Bible says this the same spirit who rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you you know what's the most important verse, word in that verse same Same. Not a different Holy Spirit. Not a second Holy Spirit. Not a junior Holy Spirit for children. Same. Same Spirit that exerted strength, the Bible says, kratos, Greek word, strength, power, raised Christ from the dead. That same Spirit lives inside of you. Same one. Same one that was there when Lazarus was risen. He lives inside of you. And now you have authority and you have keys to use. Because he rose. Because he faced death. Because you've been declared righteous. You've been reconciled. You've been brought near. or because he rose. <laughs> Friends, Easter is not just chocolate and bunnies and family. Those things are awesome. Do them as much as you want. But understand who you are because of what he did is not even just a celebration of what he did. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wages, gift. Wages, gift. Good father, liar. Good father, liar. And a good father who gives good gifts doesn't want his children to celebrate what a good father he is and never open them. He says, I want you to walk as children that have authority because I faced death for you as a man because I was sinless. And yet he was tempted at every point. I'm just so enamored by Jesus. I really am. I mean, not even just impressed. I don't know over the right word. I just, I heard someone say it like this if he did it as God, I'm still impressed. But I'm not compelled to follow. But if he did it as a man, I'm compelled to follow. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you. You just follow. Because he did it as a man. So, it's good news. It's good news. Really is good news, friend. That is the good news. I tell you, I get so excited. I really do. I wonder if you guys could come up. We're going to sing a song. While we sing that song, are we going to hand out? That's great. Okay, we're going to have some guys hand out some communion. If you don't want to take it, you don't have to take it. Let me say this for those who are visiting. Some people are of the belief that they cannot touch it themselves, that they cannot touch bread. Well, let me just, I don't mean to offend. There is no mediator but Jesus Christ. Simple. You are welcome to take communion anytime, even by yourself in your home. There is no mediator but a high priest, Jesus Christ. So we're going to have some communion. Friends, I've got a church history book, just while they hand it out, uh, of, I, just, I forget the guy's name, Justo L. Gonzalez, I think it is. Great church historian. He gives the exact date that the laws were changed in the land, I think it was under Constantine, where communion went from a celebratory meal a whole meal and joy and celebration and life and family and laughter and wine as a celebration of what Jesus had done to like a funeral service. And he said, and it's never recovered. Can we take this communion? Yes, there's a respect. Yes, there's a reverence. Yes, there's a gratefulness. But can we take it with joy? Can we take it with saying, Lord, you are risen. You have to fear the death. Friends, think about it. You will never die. Never. You will never die. Your body will be put aside for a season until he comes back. But to be absent with your body is to be present with the Lord. So fear of death is gone. Bondage is gone. So can we take communion with joy, with excitement,